the 90s, a golden time for Serie A, the greatest, most glamorous players in the world, bestriding the pitches of the peninsula. Today's show focuses, though, on a man who was in no way glamorous, in no way grand, but who had perhaps the most remarkable story of them all. Yes, listeners, it's the 31st of August 1997, and while a new Serie A season is about to get underway, Italy's attention is focused on San Siro, where Ronaldo, or Phenomeno, is about to make his debut for Inter against Brescia. Now, popularly, the story is that the show was stolen that day by his fellow Inter debutant, Alvaro Recoba, and his brace. But there was another scene stealer, the man whose goal on the 73rd minute had left Ronaldo and Recoba and the rest of the Inter bunch trailing to newly promoted Brescia. It is Dario Hubner, and my word, a Golazzo appreciation of Tatanka is long overdue. Luckily, today we have James Horngastle. Hello. Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. And Richard Hughes. How are you doing, James? Very well, thank you. All here to tell us why Il Bisonte was so great and why it took until after 30 to even arrive in Serie A. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Do you remember that game, Richard? No, no, I, I can't lie and say I remember that game. It was such a famous game, though. Funnily enough, it was one of those ones that Channel 4 were covering. So it was the day that Princess Diana died and Brescia had a player called Diana and it, everyone was focusing on the fact that Ronaldo was debuting and then Recoba, etc. Nobody talks about the fact that the, the opening goal was Dario Hubner's first ever goal at the age of 30 in Syria. And it was... Do you remember it, Gab? It sounds like this. Simoni mette dentro l'Uruguayano Alvaro Recoba, 21 anni, arriva dal National di Montevideo, fuori Gans, ma attenzione, 27esimo, splendida girata di Dario Hubner, che conosce così la Serie A. There's an 18-year-old looping a beautiful ball over the top of the, of the inter-defence from midfield. I wonder who that was. Andrea Pirlo. Andrea Pirlo. And controlling it with his knee, turning spinning and volleying it into the net is this former uh, factory worker, house painter, baker's boy and a chain cigarette smoker and cereal grappa drinker called Dario Hubner, who is, I mean, it's fair to say the unlikeliest Capo Cannoniere City has ever had. Is that fair? I'd probably say so, yeah. I mean, look, uh, he was a massive Inter fan as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, to make his City A debut in front of 75,000 at San Siro at the age of 30 and score... Um, under the curva where, you know, he was a big Spilo Altobelli fan. That, that was his sort of role model when he was growing up. Stuff that dreams are made of, Jimbo. Absolutely. As he as he puts it, and then, of course, Rokoba ruined my party by scoring <laughs> a brace. Gab? Everything about him was, was just so unlikely from... I mean, you, you mentioned the drinking and the smoking, which, you know, maybe... It was exaggerated a little bit. You know, Roberto Pruzzo also used to famously smoke, as did your mate Pepe Signori. But he probably still does. But but it was just more the fact that here's a guy who, he grew up near Trieste, which is still, you know, Triestina falling on hard times, but it's still a professional football team. There's not many people there. For those who don't know, it's you're just stuck on the very edge of, of Italy, right, near, near, near the border with Slovenia and, and Croatia. And... He played football and he scored a lot of goals at youth level on his tiny village team. And then in normal circumstances, what happens is a scout says, oh, look, that big lad, 
he scores a lot of goals and maybe, you know, we'll give him a trial, right? I mean, I'm assuming that's what happens, right, Richard Hughes? Yeah, I, I guess I, so, yeah. I mean, But in Italy more so than in any other country. I don't know, maybe because it's a, a bigger country than, than most other Europeans. I don't know. But you do seem to get a few stories of players blossoming late, as you're describing here. And, and here, um, it just didn't happen. It, it didn't happen until he was... Really? Well, yeah, first was, contract at uh, 22. First pro contract at 22. Final, right? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah I, where you know and, where his manager... Well, that, that's what I was going to get to. Uh-huh. So, and, I, and, I've, and I've always... Well, not always. not like it was my life's obsession to ask him. But with hindsight, <laughs> given I spent more than enough time speaking to him, I, I probably should ask Guidolin, like, how did you how did you find this guy? Yeah. Because, you know, 22 is a certain age. Guidolin isn't really from there, but not that far away from there. Um, how you find this guy who just goes and just bowls people over and, and just scores a lot of goals at a very low level. And, and as you said, he'd had a whole range of jobs. I think, I think I'm right in saying he had a high school sort of professional degree in carpentry. Yeah. Which like Jesus. He says that he got that because he said to the, the, the teachers, I am leaving for the factory tomorrow. So you can give me the, the diploma or not. And they said, okay, you, you can have it. And then he left, I think at the age of 14 mm. to work, um, first of all, in a, in a, in a, Aluminium kind of and then yeah, then he he made doors. Yeah, and the expression was that the uh, di costruisce porti di 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 fonda. You know, porte meaning both doors and and, and, goal. and goals. And mm. so he would build them up by day, and then evening when he'd go and play for his local side, he would smash them down. But, but he slipped through the net. And Nedo Sonetti, who I'm sure is not necessarily a figure that we would all think of as a visionary of Italian football, says that the fact that he arrived in Serie A so late and only had, I think, three seasons in the top flight is a a defeat for all of Italian managers. And every time Italian managers saw him and the years he spent in you know, City of Cheese, City of B, they should regard that as a, a, essentially a, a defeat for their way of doing things. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. I, I think, as I said there to Gab, I, I, in Italy, I think more than any other country, I can think of plenty of examples of players blossoming late. I don't know whether it's a, it's a good level of tactical knowledge, even from a grassroots level, perhaps, that, so that when they have to climb through um, the leagues, they do so with, uh, with, with more ease. Uh, even the a Champions League winning Juventus team with people like Di Livio and Torricelli and people like that who, who could arguably not have made it. Mm. Um, and, and particularly when we're, we're looking at bombers in particular and strikers that have scored goals at a lower level, but then seem to be able to, to, to find the back of the net even in, in, in Serie A. It comes back to strikers um, being self-taught or being about instinct rather than, Thank for example... Thank well, but He's made this point many times. Rather than being about being told where to go, what moves to make, and that, another sort of great strike of that era and of this genre, if you like, um, is Igor Perotti. Right, and, um, and they share something very special. In that they are the only guys who've ever been top scorer in the third division, the second division, and the top flight. Um, but Perotti famously went to play with um, Beppe Signori at Lazio. Their manager was Zenit Zeman. And it just didn't work for Perotti, not only because he had Signori in front of him, but because Zeman was very tactical, said you have to make these kind of moves. And normally we've seen strikers excel because Mm. of that. I I think Richard hit it on the head, though, which is, I think one of our failings in Italy is we're so big on teaching and, and tactics and stuff like that. And we get certain ideas in our head. I think this is part of the reason we're so obsessed with, with foreigners and only recently are they giving homegrown players a chance that we're more likely to see the negatives, right? And what, what a player cannot do. Um, 
And we see this all the time. We see players, teams get promoted. They have these guys. You figure nobody's ever heard of them. They're all going to go down. They must all be terrible, right? And then that doesn't happen. In fact, what we're seeing more recently from promoted teams in Serie A is they're saying, you know what? I don't need to buy, you know, 20 guys with Serie A experience who are just going to be over, you know, expensive and, and overvalued. I think back, right, this is going to be a bit niche, but remember a few years ago when Catania came up and they had this ridiculous... Argentine colony? <laughs> no, 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 no. Before that, they had, um, when they had Giorgio Corona. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the ridiculous guy who like, who like tucked his like shorts into his underwear and he had the hair and he was from the deep south and like, and I thought, oh, you know, this guy's a freak show. Why is he even here, right? I thought, you know, I thought other than Mascara, none of these people can, can play. And even Mascara had a lot of major issues, right? Mm. But then you realize that I think he scored, I mean, he scored like eight or nine goals that year. He, he did his part. And, and I think it, a lot of it is they just don't, they just don't look, they don't see the talent. They don't, they, they just think a striker has to be a certain way. Hubner, of course, you know, he, he was, I don't even think he was that strong. He, when he jumped, he, he rarely got off the ground, you yeah. know. He was a big guy. He was, he's a big dude, but he's not like, you know, oh my, he's not Luca Toni, you know? I mean, yeah. who's much more of an athlete than he is. But it's funny because Brescia big. let him go for Luca Toni, and then he, he, he goes to Piacenza and outscores Toni and becomes the, the oldest ever Capocannonieri. Until Toni did it again Until at Verona. <laughs> So now, okay. So what? He, he wasn't. You don't feel he was the strongest because that was kind of his defining characteristic. That kind of head down, plowing forward, plowing through de- defenses. What marked him out? Do you think, uh, Richard? Uh, well, therefore, his, his nickname, Bisonte the Bison. Mm. That, that's what he was. He was a big, big sort of target man. A little bit of um, uh, a different type of striker to to most others in Italy. Um, almost, I dare say, xenophobic, but a British style striker, if you like, um, and. Um, I think he had that nose, as, as James James H has said, that that nose to be at the right place at the right time, the the ability to find the back of the net, uh, and I think that's what set him apart. And he matured as he got older, and he he knew how to travel defenses, even in environments that you're depicting there, like San Siro. Um, but it was it, he even when I remember seeing him play in his time as Cesena and, and, and Brescia, he seemed to be very different from other Italian bomberists. He wasn't your Typical Bomber di Provincia, Protti was a little bit smaller, Signori, Baiano, mm. Tovalieri, people that were a little bit more nimble and sharp, whereas he was um, different in his physical presence, and that's why his nickname was what it was, the Bison. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, the defending in that era, just just about the toughest play, place you could try and well, also, school I mean, goals. He, you talk about the, the year when he was Capocannonieri yeah. in Serie A, when he shared that title with Trezeguet. David Trezeguet. I mean, this is David Trezeguet, oh, also, a World Cup take, European championship Am I right winner. that he didn't take a single penalty? That no, way? he didn't. There's no penalties at mm. all. So, <laughs> so the backstory there is, so he's, he, he gets into Serie A finally, 1997, the game we mentioned, with, with Brescia. But they go down. I mean, he, he scores, I think, 20 goals that year, scores on that opening day against Inter, scores a hat-trick the following weekend against Sampdoria and continues to score. But Brescia go down and nobody comes in for him. But I guess they all feel he's one of those kind of one-season well, wonders. Well, legend has it he always liked to be within driving range of his, of his home in Crema. <laughs> So he he never wanted to go too far away. No, more than forty so kilometers. He, he could so. go. He could finish his morning training session, drive back for lunch, and then and then go back for the afternoon session. Well, for whatever reason, uh, he stays with with Brescia. Spends two years in City B again, gets them back up, and that's when they bring in Baggio, 
And everyone says, wow, are you excited to be playing with Badger? And he says, well, to be fair, I've always scored goals anyway, so I don't mind. <laughs> but you see, you've got Badger in there and Caleto Mazzoni is the manager. And they have a brilliant season. The end of that, though, Brescia decided they're going to go with Iglitari and, and Luca Toni and let him go to Piacenza for 1.5 million. He's now 34 at the start of this season, and that's when he has this extraordinary campaign. Mm. And he can't stop scoring whenever he faces Brescia as well. Scores some brilliant goals, some bicycle kicks. Again, because like these guys, you always associate that genre of player, the Bomba di Provincia, as um, guys who you know score with their shins, score with their knees. You know, it comes off their backside, off their shoulders, whatever. But there's some goals that he came up with in, in that season where show a real deftness, real kind of um, great technique. You know, sort of lobbing the goalkeeper from outside the box. You know, it going in off the bar, scoring free kicks from long distance, but which he, he never got to do at um, Brescia. Al quarantesimo, una lunga emozione. Caccia ispira Ugner, solo come non dovrebbe essere. Il numero su Cordoba e poi la replica sul Milanese. Il tiro vale il 2 a 0 per il Piacenza. Per Ubner, goal number 21 in campionato, is sempre più solo al comando della classifica. I'm going to posit this as a theory. And I wonder if, if you share it, Richard. And if you don't, you don't have to be polite. You can just tell me. It's nonsense. Um, the, in Italy, we have this sense that if you try something difficult, and Giorgio Corona, not that I'm obsessed with him, but bring him up again. Um, if you try something difficult, like a long-range shot or like an overhead kick or lobbing the keeper like that, you know, and you get it wrong, you know how like in England, like the crowd goes, ooh, you know, whereas in Italy, they get angry with you and your teammates say, you know, they have this expression like, you know, fare il fenomeno, like, you know, <laughs> who do you think you are? They're trying to do that. And I remember speaking to Gianluca Vialli about this and he was allowed to do it. Mancini was allowed to do it, but like... Even other very good players they played with. He told me once, Torino Cerezo tried an overhead kick, for example, mm-hmm. and people were like rumbling, well, who does he think he is? And I'm like, I'm sorry, he's only Cerezo, yeah. Brazilian international. Like, And Ubner, maybe in his formative years, he never had that because he played on these terrible teams where he was the Ibrahimovic of the situation. <laughs> and he never had anybody telling him, like, oh, you know, don't attempt something difficult. I mean, th- th- did you experience that? Did, did you ever try, like... Uh, an overhead kick and has somebody said like use a cazzo fai <laughs> except more with a beep yeah no no, I didn't uh, in answer to that question but I do agree with you in, uh, in, in the fact in, for me Italian crowds Italian footballing followers um, all very opinionated and they are in most countries I guess but they, they, they analyse the game to levels that I don't think other countries well I can't say it for definitely to to levels of healthiness which are questionable but I think because everyone reasons um, so much about the game and talks so much about the game whether it's the person in the street or the the player out there doing it people expect good decisions to be made and normally you've got your fantasista so it's uh, you're saying fatty phenomena or or know your role um, as we would say over here my role, get it and give it to the phenomenal if that's the way the team plays. So there might be th- something to it that, that uh, Hubner was growing up always the best player in the team, like I was, believe it or not, when I was actually growing up to, to then, when I was six or seven, this was, by the way. But then by the time, <laughs> by the time I got into a team that was uh, composed of better individuals than me, I had to make my sort of niche uh, area something different. So I, I think there could be mileage in that, that he was allowed to express himself and one player in the team, almost as you're alluding to there, Gab, is almost allowed to do it with the number 10, the Fantasista, even though Hubert was definitely not that. But clearly, at whatever level he was playing growing up, he was allowed to, to try the spectacular and maybe get away with it. Mm. Well, that's he, different here. I mean, it, people will try to be more 
if on your team you see one of the, I'm not going to name names, but if you see like your central midfielder occasionally try and do stuff that like your skill players or your more skillful players normally do, unless he, as long as he doesn't do it all the time or doesn't do it in a stupid way, you're not going to have a go at him, right? Yeah, I, think, I think that's fair generally. I mean, I would because I'm Italian upbringing. Okay. Right there, so I'm seeing <laughs> no. it like the first hey, Your boss program. wouldn't. Um, no, I, I, th- I think, yeah, perhaps there's a little bit more of sort of um, uh, allowing creativity and expression uh, in, in generally speaking, I think it's a fair point, Gab. Yeah, so you gave me the opportunity to disagree with you, and I'm not going to. I, right. I suppose if you want to recontextualize that in England, mm-hmm. um, you know, the mind goes back to Roberto Mancini going off on Mario Balotelli in that what was it that, that preseason friendly when he That's tried. Right. Yeah, yeah, that that is a perfect encapsulation of what Gab's Gab's saying. Uh, Mario Balotelli used to go to the Rigamonti to to watch Dario Hubner. He said, "Bring it neatly back to Dario Hubner, who." <laughs> Who was to be fair? Whoever had been in the team with him, I feel he would have just done his own thing because he was he was always extremely a man of his own mind. And th- there's that great story that Carlo Ancelotti tells about when after the season, when he's been Capocannoniere, the top scorer in Serie A, he doesn't get the call up for the Italy squad for that World Cup in 2002. But what he does get is an invitation to travel to America with Milan and Carlo Ancelotti. And and possibly with a view to taking on a, a, a kind of squad role with the Rossoneri, but it doesn't quite work out, Gab. Yeah, so this was Ancelotti's first... Um, I mean, I think he took over from Fatih Tarim in October, November of, of the previous year. So obviously they had a lot of players who were going to the World Cup and whatnot. It was pretty customary back then for, for Italian clubs. And this was the end-of-season tour. It wasn't really the pre-season tour. So nobody wanted to be there. Kind of like, all right, we're just doing this for money. It's not like, you know, the glamour of the ICC today. He goes on this tour, and a lot of the players are like, all right, this guy's just not one of us. And it was obviously he's not, he's not a different team, but, like, he just lives on a different plane. Like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like a footballer. He's older. He's, you know, and again, I don't want to make it seem like he's an alcoholic who's chain-smoking, but, you know, <laughs> at the Milan of that time... yeah. You know, that kind of thing. The Milan was, was, lab, Milan. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing was frowned upon. And, you know, they treated it as if, like, oh, like, he's just kind of here for a jolly. But that's okay, because, you know, so are we. He's caught by Angelotti having a fag during the, the halftime break. And Carlo asked him what he's, what's he's doing, because this is a big opportunity. This is the way the story is told anyway. And, and uh, Dario replies, well, I, I'm just here, basically, because I didn't have anything else to do. And would you like a cigarette, mister? Yeah, yeah. and... Hubner, it must be said, has refuted this. Story. Oh, has he? He said, uh, "Like if you know, think about it from my point of view. I get a chance to prove myself for a couple of weeks with AC Milan. Uh, first, it might be my last big contract. Even though I think you know he's thirty-five, they're only going to give him what a year deal or something like that. Uh, would I have acted like that? No. Um, but yeah, certainly all these stories about him, you know, smoking his way through um, the Saturday into the, the Monday before kickoff, having a cigarette." at uh, half-time and then finishing it off at full-time with a grapper, you know, all that sort of thing. Legend. I, I think Ancelotti's also grappa. refuted that, that story. <laughs> Ancelotti? Well. Yeah. That, you know, it wasn't quite... But he's like, but, you know... <laughs> it's a plausible story. <laughs> it could have happened. It could have happened. Well, yeah. And in, in the health-conscious... Uh, the, the then extremely health-conscious, and I imagine still to this day health-conscious... Uh, Serie A, he really was an extraordinary. And it is a shame, Richard, that we didn't get to see more of him, no? I mean, 34. Yeah, it is a shame, yeah. I, I, I just wonder what makes uh, a Bomber di Provincia remain 
a Bombardier provincia. You know, there's so many examples of players that... Well, snobbism sometimes, I think. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. And in Hoopner, that's why he is a classic Bombardier provincia. So you've got other people like Christian Vieri and, and people in Zaghi started off and could have been that had they not become greats of the game. And, and, and we mentioned Protti before. He did get his chance immediately after he got the yeah. title of going to Lazio. Tovalieri, who kind of was a similar figure down at Bari, then got a move to Roma. Actually, that's a... I think those are the, those are interesting examples because I'd argue somebody like people in Zaghi, and to a lesser degree Christian Vieri, who who improved technically at a much older age, those are people who maybe had they not had a shot at, at the big time, and I was in Zaghi going to Parma, they might have remained that way, you know, because they were not particularly technically gifted players you know in terms of the, the very highest level it's coming to, back to what you said earlier so it, it's when you if you're looking at what players can't do in zaggy's the class if i got scouts to like say te- go and watch in zaggy is he quick no uh, is he uh, is he good technically no is he strong no is he good heading it no it's like well, why are you bringing this player but you you put it all together you focus on what you said earlier on what he is good at and you've got one of the greats of the game mm. But that's a great story that Paolo Maldini tells, that in the kind of patitella, the game that they would have in training, um, they would be looking at Pippo and they'd be like, God, this guy cut trap a yeah, ball. Yeah, Di Matteo says the terrible. same thing at the, at the Azuri, that with the first time he turned up there, they were probably as gobsmacked as, as Milan were when Hubner turned up on the yeah. torneo estivo. I've got an Izaghi story. Go on. Gender, I was, yeah. When I was at the, in the Primavera, so I was like 17 at the time, Mondonico was the manager and he would uh, uh, call over the youth team to play against the Primavera to play against the first team on a Wednesday or a Thursday before the, uh, the the Sunday game. And uh, for some reason, he wanted me to man Mark Inzaghi. And this happened a couple of times, uh, maybe because I was maybe slightly bigger than the other one. So he, want, he wanted to, me to try and, in inverted commas, rough him up a little bit. And uh, playing against um, uh, Inzaghi, who had two other very good companions either side of him, so Domenico Morfeo and Gigi uh-huh. Lentini. Wow. Um, <laughs> who, who put it on a play. And I used to come back and my, I would tell my dad, who was always very interested in what happened in training, I was like, oh, man, Martin Inzaghi. And bear in mind, Inzaghi's good at this time. He'd been to Parma, he was scoring goals for Atalanta, but he wasn't the great he became. And uh, he goes, oh, how do you go on? I goes, oh, yeah, it did really well. He didn't get a kick and uh, he got a hat-trick. But, um, you know, <laughs> and literally the goals were, it would be a penalty that Morfeo would have it rebounded, hit his knee and go in. Uh, another one that was marginally <laughs> offside, it'd come off me and then ricochet off Inzaghi. But this wasn't, this wasn't a coincidence. This happened every week and it was very deflating for this poor young Scottish kid Man marking this player, thinking he was doing a good job and he was just scoring goals galore. Jeez, but Morfeo and Lentini. What players? Yeah, particularly, yeah. Mor- I mean, Lentini's well known, but Morfeo yeah. was one of those that, sorry to veer off centre in the bottom no, of no. the provincia, but Morfeo, I mean, how many chances did he get at making it? He, he played for been, every top team. Morfeo's one of those guys that you look back and you think, he could have been in, in sort of the Baggio Zola, Mancini, great number 10, the Del Piero, great number 10 class. Um, but as we say in Italy... You know, no, 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 right? Absolutely, the case, but yeah. you know, he, yeah. he, he wasn't nothing right between in the, the head, and, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, Lentini as well is a, a story. The man who uh, Berlusconi broke the bank for and invited the wrath of the the, the pay, or the opprobrium of the the papacy for such was the the size of the fee that that Milan uh, paid Torino to prize him away, and that's just the figure that they admitted, not not counting the, the what was it, the hotel in Baldonecchia that was. Uh, un- under the table but then the extraordinary story of how that all went wrong involving uh, Mrs Scalacci but uh, unless that one isn't true as well and crashing the Ferrari while driving it at like 180 kilometers yeah on his way back from seeing Rita Scalacci yeah. Yeah. Mrs with the 
Because yeah. he, he'd had a flat tire, yeah. so he'd put the little sort of donut, the one that where it says like, you know, caution, do not drive at more than 30 miles an hour. Yeah. And you're only supposed to drive, you know, far enough to get it changed and uh, 180 miles. Was this before he saw or after? No, this is on the way back. On the way, so maybe Skilachi got home and yeah, I think a, so. Like, well, <laughs> to make a quick getaway. <laughs> so, but that that's a tale for another day. Okay, anything else about Dario Hubner? Why, why is he such a legend? Because he's like the fans, a, a guy who rolls his sleeves up, works, enjoys a drink. Yeah, and, and I think there's one at every local club. I mean, I, I can th- I'm not going to mention one. Andrea Mastropaolo was the one that when I was growing up in Pesquera Borromeo and he was the local one. If there was a player that was going to blossom late and play in Serie A. So I think a lot of people can maybe not relate to necessarily because he went on and scored in goals of a, a very high level. But everyone, you know, everyone could have been a player. They could yeah. have been. I'm not belittling what he had to offer, but the fact that it looked as if he wouldn't have a top level career did so late. I think that's part of the something that makes it, him so endearing. Could you could you make a comparison between, say, Dario Hubner and Jamie Vardy? You could, and I think people have done that. I think uh-huh. Vardy may be a little bit younger. The guy I was thinking of is Glenn Murray. Okay. Um, because this is a guy who, you know, he played for the Carolina Railhawks or some such nonsense in, 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 in the US and had all sorts of issues, has a big issue now, of course. And then he gets to the Premier League and you think this guy's rubbish and he is kind of rubbish and then he starts scoring goals and yeah. then he starts scoring goals again. And he shouldn't be playing for Brighton because he's, like you said, he's probably, other than the goalkeepers, he's probably worse than every other person on the Brighton team at mm. actually touching the ball and, right? As a former Bournemouth player, I, I, I can't agree with you this time, but I'm, I'm not stopping you from saying he what you He played for Bournemouth? He played for Bournemouth. I had no idea. Guys, so. But not in the top flight. Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he scored that great goal when we won at Chelsea one 0 and uh, and he scored the winner, the head of the back post. All right, but he's still kind of, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, but he scored no. a lot of goals but, relative to okay, the. Okay, so the Glenn Murray. I, I was jesting about no, not okay. interrupting you this time. Okay, no, 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 right, but no, but you know what I mean? Like, he hmm. has that ability. He gets in a position. He's got whether it's the brains or the instinct. Right. So he's, he's thirty-two now, right? Yeah, he's something and like it, stupid like that. And, and if he did older, that, and if he was top scorer in the Premier League, and the Premier League had Turam and who else, and, and Maldini, and all the greats, Montero. This this was the great thing. That, that would be the comparison, effectively. One of the anecdotes of Natal's is that one of the the best moments of his career. Um, a guy came up to him after a game and said, "Can I have you sh- your shirt?" And that guy was Paolo Maldini. Which, there you uh, go. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, Dario Hubner, they, they should have taken him to the... They took Del Vecchio instead, who never, never had a kick at the 2002 World Cup. Not that it would have made any difference, because Baro Moreno... Should have taken Baggio as well. You know. Yeah. You know, Some anti-pressure bias because there. Because Del is exactly... Like one, what Richard said earlier about, you know, our thinking is we like the guys who make the right movements on the pitch, mm-hmm. and are tactically disciplined and work hard and blah, blah, blah. Del Vecchio is that, you know. What's his name? The, Trillio? The, Trillia? No, but the, the, the number the of trout. Italian managers <laughs> yeah, that's who, what they who obsess, right? Yeah. And they get all excited and, you know, Del, Del Vecchio basically gives them a hard-on. When you look at him, and if Del Vecchio had been born in Brazil, mm. well, well, would he be playing? I mean, he would be playing professional football, presumably. But, He'd be kicked off the beach. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, yeah. this is a different, right? He's the guy who does everything that people want of him. Yeah. And then they overlook somebody like like Hubner. I'm sure there's some sort of happy medium between the the Del Vecchios and the yeah. Am I, am I being too harsh on him? No. Well, Del Vecchio, he had a. He, I mean, he he formed an interesting partnership with Totti and uh, Montella. Yeah, it, uh, but that's what I mean, I right? Yeah. You've got the guy who scores. You have got the genius who doesn't run, yeah. and then you've got this dude like basically the working his rear end off for yeah. him, right? I mean, he's yeah. exactly the same now as he did then. 
You know, he's Del never, Vecchio. He's never really aged, Del Vecchio. He's just like this rake-like figure with what looks like dyed jet black hair, but mm-hmm. it's still the same long hair. Hubner. Life goals for me. Hubner. Yeah. It, it looks more or less the same, but a bit greyer. Mm. Just bringing it once again back to Hubner. One last Hubner story, James? Well, there's this kind of story that he um, he put a lot of his money into his into a bar, um, and he would wait tables and be the guy behind the bar. He would be the barman, but that's all uh, a myth as well. Oh, it kind of says, but it One says a lot. True story. But does it not say a lot about someone that these myths created yeah. around someone, which you know, he's he basically lives a much more normal life than people give him credit for. But you know, but I think people project what they want onto this kind of this figure of Hubner, which is. Mm. You know. I'll give you one. All right. So there's a town called Monticelli Dongina, which is the garlic capital of the world. (laughs) No, it's true. It's it's twinned with a town in California called Gilroy. And they have this annual, or biannual actually, garlic festival. It Uh alternates between Gilroy and Monticelli. And um, when he was at Piacenza one year, and I I would have told the story earlier, I couldn't remember what it was, but they had some celebrity was supposed to come and and open it um, and kind of, you know, do like the ribbon cutting and moderate celebrity, you know, it's a town of 6,000 people, but we're very proud of our garlic. Um, and then this person couldn't come, there's fog in Milan, flight couldn't come in or whatever. So they literally called Dario Udner, who was training that morning at Piacenza, and they said, you want to come by this afternoon and do this? And he's like, yeah, no, no problem. And he just sort of showed up, did the ribbon cutting, and uh, he left with two baskets of garlic. Bingo. All right. It was the, the, the inspiration for a, uh, I would say, a very bad song a few years ago, um, which, uh, you know, is again just all The about Summer of Hoopna. The Summer of Hoopna. You went there. <laughs> you went there. Oh, my word. Well, let's have a little bit of the Summer of Hoopna uh, to play us out of this little section before we have a quick chat about what's coming up this weekend. Rich, is your garlic sourced from there? Because you are a restaurateur as well as a... Uh... Oh, well, if it's not, it will be now. Either that or in Gilroy somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Those restaurants, by the way, Mele e Peri. And the other one's called is Gotto. Yeah, Gotto. Gotto yeah. is very, very nice. That's Thank if you, you are, happen to be wandering by the canal out by uh, the, uh, the... Well, Stratford. But what I actually wanted to quickly touch on before we get kicked out is... What's happening in the current world of Italian football? Uh-huh. There's the cup final going on this evening, which kind of limits us from talking too much about it. So Milan to take on Juventus in what is effectively the last big occasion of Gigi Buffon's career. Yeah, his first Coppa Italia final since 99. Really? Because basically, even though they've been to the final, they've won this competition in the last three years. Um, it's always been the stand-ins job. That's the you know the big prestige game that he'll get. You know your Marco Stolarides, your Netos, and that sort of thing. So mm. I think it's a nod that this will be Gigi's last big big occasion. So um, 
so yeah, from that point of view, it's a, it's a big game. And then also from Milan's point of view, and this goes into the weekend as well, if Milan were to win tonight, they can obviously qualify for, for the Europa League, which I think is the minimum. Um, Financial fair play permitting. Exactly. And uh, But if they don't win tonight, well, the, their next two games are essentially Europa League playoffs against Atalanta and against Fiorentina, who are mm. chasing qualification for that competition as well. And a really interesting situation still with the... Uh, battle of the top four places. Obviously, the title race looks pretty much sorted now. Juve, six points clear of Napoli with two games to go. But uh, Inter, Lazio and Roma in, in reverse order, effectively. R- Roma in, in third place. Lazio currently taking the last Champions League spot and Inter two points behind them. Can I posit something? Yeah. It's my, I think it might be my second posit of the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Roma are hosting Juventus. Yeah. And you have a situation where Roma need a point to be guaranteed Champions League football. And right. Juventus need a point. So a point is enough in, in in one of their two remaining games, a point is enough to guarantee Roma the top four. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is I think until a few years ago, we would have been going, aha, obvious, be right? I mean, you know, it's a draw. But just... even against Juventus? Well, that's the thing. And I think I think the whole mindset's changed. I mean, watching Torino play last week, I was talking to somebody who knows Mazzari well. And Mazzari was like, kind of surprised at how hard they played and, and, and they kept going when Torino has nothing to, to play for. And in general, the whole environment is grim, largely because also Mazzari's there and tends to bring everybody down. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I could see, I, I don't, I just get a sense that even though, you know, I'm sure you can get a, I'm sure the price on the draw is very, very low. I get a sense that this is going to be a real game. Mm. Um, and, and they're actually going to go for it. And then, who knows? And maybe Juve will need to wait till Verona to win their title. Right. Fatal Verona. We shall see. What a we, story would that be, huh? Well, that would be amazing. And, of course, uh, equally uh, intri- intriguing is the, the the final day clash between Inter and Lazio, which could well be a spareggio for for that Champions League spot. Yeah, it looks like it uh, now because Lazio what, dropped points uh, in a very good game against Atalanta at the Olympico where they look to be hanging on, uh, really. And it's to be understood, uh, it's understandable really given that Lazio I think have played more games than anybody else this season well, the injuries, right? and the injuries the as well that piled up yeah like, you know so, by the way Liverpool fans I know you only got a fleeting glimpse of your Luis Alberto and but he's been absurdly good this year yeah the he's revelation been, of the the season no yeah I, I I'd say certainly for Lazio and um yeah anyway so you we won't see him against Inter because he's out but mm. Unless there's some kind of record recovery, these guys, you know, sort of the knife between the teeth. Yeah. Atlanta still in with a shout, though. Richard, oh, your old club? Yeah, they are. I mean, that, that, that draw, again, that, that really good game that James is talking about there against Lazio, actually, the draw really suits neither team because Lazio now have got it all to do in, uh, in the last two games, particularly that Spareggio against Inter and Atalanta have this uh, must win game that will must hope that Milan lose tonight, first and foremost. And because uh, that would mean that if they did get uh, fifth place, um, Six. a sixth place big pardon yeah you're right um, then that would mean a direct entry in the group stages and no one wants to be sort of going to uh, Eastern Europe for their uh, summer pre-season tours um, so yeah huge game for Atalanta and then of course the Cagliari game on the last day of the season right. and Cagliari by the looks of things could need more well, yeah, that's need something yeah. so there's five teams within two points of each other down at the, the bottom Spal on 35 uh, Crotone Udinese and Chievo a point behind them and then Cagliari who are currently in the third relegation spot along with uh, Verona and uh, Benevento have already gone uh, just a point further back so yeah. wow mm. alright well everything to play for apart from the title 
probably. Yeah, I mean, just a quick see. point on Atalanta. Yeah. Um, usually when a team like Atalanta qualify for Europe, uh, they're, they're stretched, um, yeah, because their squad isn't big enough and all that. But I think they've done a really good job of, A, having a sporting director who kept Kievo where Kievo should never have been for a long, long time and have that academy. And they've got a freshness about them at this stage of the season, even after what, um, getting into the knockout stage of the Europa yeah. League, after knocking Napoli out of the Coppa Italia, um, which is pretty remarkable. And this kid they've got, they've again found from their academy, Musabado, who can't stop scoring, um, looks looks like a looks like the next baby phenomenon. You know, he looks pretty special. Mm. Yeah, look at him. Uh, no, I, I said last time I was on that we would never um, sign another Atalanta player. There can only be one Atalanta Bournemouth connection. But not just that, <laughs> it's the fact that it worries me significantly, and I've told this to the people at Atalanta, the fact that they keep on producing these players. They're very well managed. The club's very well run. I'm just not sure that buying them at top price and then expecting them to deliver in different environments right. is, is good value for money. Because the club is so well organised. Yeah, and, and the way Gasparini plays is so particular. Mm. So you see people like well, Gagliardini had an unbelievable half a season before Inter signed them for 30-something. He's a decent player, but... It is odd. This is one thing I'll say about you know the never-ending sort of nature versus nurture debate. Atalanta, nobody's arguing one of the, the top academies in all of Europe in terms of the sheer volume of professionals. But if you ask yourself, who is the last superstar who lived up to billing that Atalanta produced? And I know obviously Morfeo could have been that, but you probably have to go back to Donadoni. Yeah, and that was a long, long... Yeah. I mean, maybe Caldara, we'd all love it if he did, but like, you know, that... It, it's odd. Like, they produce a lot of top-level, very good City A players. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actual stars, it's... And I think that's because ultimately, you know, sorry to disappoint the nurture brigade, but stars are boring you know there's a randomness to it well there you go and on that thought-provoking note from Gabriele Marcosi so we bring to an end this edition of Golato we will return next week maybe we'll have a look forward to that final day Lazio Inter playoff uh, trying to think if there's ever been a big Lazio Inter showdown on the stop final it, day with anything it. riding ah, on see. it <laughs> well we'll have a look we'll do a bit of research and see if anything springs to mind yeah, uh, but for now, many, many thanks, Rich, for being with us My this pleasure. evening. Again, Hope the you. end of the season goes well for you and the Cherries and uh, James Horncastle mm-hmm. and Gab Marcotti and you, listener. See you next week. For now, from all of us here, Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. 